Good morning. Today the first reading is a reading from Joshua, chapter 5. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt, so that the place has been called Gilgal to this day. While the Israelites were camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, they celebrated Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the first month. The very next day, they began to eat unleavened bread and roasted grain harvested from the land. No manna appeared on the first day they ate from the crops of the land, and it was never seen again. So from that time on, the Israelites ate from the crops of Canaan. Here ends the reading. Oh 
going to be humming it all day. Today's second reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Here ends the reading. Please stand. This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. To illustrate the, illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, his younger son packed all the belongings and moved to a distant land where he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. 
When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to, and in all that time you never even gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and now he is found. This is the gospel of the Lord. <clears throat> so I have a, I've probably told this story before, but um, I like to think as we age, we have the right to tell our stories over and over again. <laughs> Great, I'm glad I have your permission. <laughs> Three years ago, uh, when the Edge House went to Spain to walk some of the Camino de Santiago, I lost three of my students. Obviously, I got them back, so there's a happy ending. But let me tell you the story. It was in the middle of the week when student Leah had been having some troubles with her ankle. Uh, In fact, she'd been having troubles for the whole week. And we decided that she needed to find a ride to get to our next hostel because she was in significant pain, and so I went with her. Now, as we had been walking the Camino, our group would frequently split up into clusters. Uh, I think that was probably true for the other group as well. Uh, the, the faster walkers would head off into the distance, going quicker. The slower folks like me in the back would just take our time. Uh, sometimes it was half hour to an hour before we would see each other, but the people in the front would always take breaks and wait for us to catch up. And it would go on like this all day, sort of a human accordion, stretching out and then coming back together with moans of exhaustion and blisters. It was normal. We checked in with a group of students who had been in the middle of the pack, uh, and Leah and I then headed, hang on, this is what I get for touching my microphone. Great. We checked in with a group of students who'd been in the middle of the pack, and uh, then Leah and I headed to the hostel. We actually saw the three students who were in the front of the pack as we drove, and we kind of waved and giggled as we saw them. The drizzle of rain that had been happening all day turned into a downpour. At the hostel, we tried to dry out. We settled into wait and wait and wait. I began to be a little nervous. I started looking out the window that faced the road every few minutes. Were they okay? I texted both groups. From the middle group, I heard, we're wet, but good. Haven't seen them. From the first group, I heard absolutely nothing. And then I realized, that's right, their phones were turned off to avoid international charges. It's fine. It's fine. The middle group messaged again later. Have you heard from them? You haven't seen them at all. It's not fine. In the hostel, I was increasingly anxious. It's a foreign country. Their phones are off. They're probably lost and being eaten by wolves. Another pilgrim in the hostel with us began to soothe me. People on the Camino are so welcoming. There's still time. Don't worry. And then she asked how old the students were, and I said 19 to 21, and she almost audibly rolled her eyes. (laughs) They're adults, she said. (laughs) There's no reason for a fuss. But fuss I did. 
Eventually, I put on my own wet hiking gear and went back out into the rain to walk a mile back down the Camino to find them, which is not a good plan. I didn't find them. After a while, I got back to the hostel, and I was anxiously peering out the front window, straining my eyes to see anything at all, and I saw them (laughs) trudging in the rain towards us. And I ran out into that rain to hug them, tears on my face. Our brothers who were lost were found again. Turns out, of course, they weren't lost at all. Perhaps they veered off the path at one point and then back on, but they knew where they were. Justin, who was in the group, spoke some Spanish. They found a lovely little cafe where they warmed up for a little bit. They sang while they walked. They were blissfully unaware of my anxiety. I was the father in the story of the prodigal son there, standing at the door, looking out to the horizon every morning, hoping to see my son return from his adventures, straining my eyes every day to see some hint of him. And while he was still far off, the story says, seeing my son and running out to meet him. This is how God sees us, not just delighted when we happen to show up, but actively looking for us, running out to meet us. This story that we call the prodigal son is about wounds, and it's about welcome. And it's about this wonderful vocabulary word, prodigal. Please ignore the small d. They didn't have all the letters I wanted when I went. It's fine. (laughs) What does this word mean? Question for you. What does prodigal mean? Wandering. It's more than that. What is it more than that? (laughs) What does prodigal mean? Wayward? Lost? Disobedient? This is great. These are some wonderful words. None of them are right. (laughs) Repentant? Separated? Okay, this is great. I'll tell you the answer. (laughs) Prodigal means wastefully or recklessly extravagant. (sighs) So let's get into it. The younger son is prodigal. Lots of folks associate prodigal, as, as you all have, lots and lots of folks do, associate this word with his running away, with him being bad. But that's not... That's just an only sim- a symptom, excuse me, that's only a symptom of his being prodigal. He is spendthrift. He is wasteful. And as Henry Nouwen says in the book that we're reading this Lent, more than that, he wishes dad dead. Or at the very least, doesn't think of the consequences of taking half of the wealth with him when he leaves, right? He is listening to other voices, Maybe human ones, maybe the ones that are in his head demanding that he show them all what he's worth to make something of himself. Maybe he's listening to the voice of shame that says, who do you think you are? And having to go do something about who he is. He spends his money with wild abandon. Selfishly, sure. But perhaps also for other people. Perhaps he gave it away recklessly as much as he spent it to untrustworthy people. You need help with your rent? Here's (laughs) $50,000. Right? We can justifiably look at him as a villain. Absolutely. But 
we will then have to look at ourselves with the same eyes. Not just his villainousness, but his reckless spending. The younger brother is wounded by something we don't see in the story. He's trying to heal himself somehow with booze and sex and whatever comes to hand. We too are wounded. You heard me say this a thousand times in a lot of different sermons. The people in my school when I was growing up made fun of me. I've been broken up with. I've been made extremely uncomfortable because of my gender. I've failed at all kinds of projects and it hurts. And you have too. We have all kinds of wounds. Some we can name, some we can't. These things don't just go away. Nowen says, the voices in our heads and in our society suggest that we are not gonna be loved without having earned it. Those voices deny loudly that true love is a free gift. So we protect ourselves, we avoid the pain. We too leave home and spend what we have and then come to our senses and wonder how we could have been so foolish. But this word is great because it's not just about spending money. The older son, too, is prodigal in a different way. He is extravagant with his resentment, with his self-righteousness, with his complaints about his brother. He says, this is the right way, the way I've done it. How could you possibly do it another way and expect to be rewarded? Now one says, the elder brother stands back, looks at the father's merciful gesture and cannot step over his anger and let his father heal him as well. He is wounded and standing off in a far country like his brother before him, too hurt and closed off to see the free gift of love that he's always had. The older brother is just as hurt as the younger, just as desiring of his father's love. We too are like the older brother, insisting on our way, not willing to hear a different experience when it contradicts our own, grumpy at the unfairness of it all, and longing to be seen and loved and respected for having followed the rules. How do we respond to this feeling of pain, of incompleteness, of, of separation? We lash out at others, that's one. Wounded people wound other people after all. We withdraw, we run away. Sometimes we call that a geographic cure. We cling to the painful memory shaping our lives around it like an oyster making a pearl. Or maybe we just put our nose to the grindstone like the older brother, working harder in an attempt to deserve the love and the healing that we want. But there's another way. Of course there is. The way of the prodigal father. I have referred to this story as the parable of the prodigal father for decades. I'm sure that I stole that from someone else. I don't know who. Probably Henry Nowen. <laughs> because prodigal doesn't just mean wasteful spending. It doesn't just mean recklessness and carelessness and something to be judged for. No, prodigal also means giving profusely. It means lavish generosity. Prodigal means wild, wasteful abundance. We can be prodigal with our complaints, prodigal with our resentment, with our fear of refugees or people in power. We can be prodigal with our judgment of those who don't deserve 
forgiveness and grace, we think. And we can be prodigal with our money and our time, prodigal with the privilege and the gifts that we've been given, prodigal with recognizing we don't have all the answers, prodigal with the forgiveness and the compassion and love that God has already offered us. The prodigal father, who is of course a stand-in for God, but also a model for us, offers his gifts extravagantly, wastefully, without a second thought. He reminds me of Chet Cavalier from my old church. I feel like used to be somebody here knew him. What an amazing man. I loved him. He delighted every year at the uh, youth group fundraising auction that we did. He delighted in outbidding himself for blueberry muffins. He would bid $50, and then someone else would bid $75, and he'd go, $100, until usually every year he ended up buying them a dozen blueberry muffins for $500. And then he would write a check for $1,000. It's just what he did. Ridiculous. Or that one year at my diocesan convention, which is kind of like Senate Assembly for Episcopalians, at the closing Eucharist, I was the deacon for the bishop, and as the offering of the bread and wine and the money were brought up, the whole place was giggling. Clearly, someone was worried that we wouldn't have enough bread and wine because the three patents were all stacked high with round loaves of bread like a cartoon stack of pancakes. <laughs> it was amazing. And the offering plates were so full of paper money that the ushers were like dropping it and they had to stop every couple of steps to pick it up because it was falling out. The whole altar was covered, overflowing with gifts, barely enough room for the bishop to celebrate. Wild abundance. Or have you ever been to Aglomesis Ice Cream Shop and had one of their uh, Sundays? I get the Caramarche Pecan all the time. It's the best one. It comes in those cute, old-timey, like, stemmed dishes. They might even be pewter, I'm not sure. And it's so overflowing with ice cream and sauces that they have to serve it on another plate because the stuff is falling out of it. <laughs> Extravagance. Or the welcome that our students at the Edge House offered the other weekend to two brand new students who came on retreat with us who are clearly a little bit uncomfortable around new people. Or it's the welcome that the Edge House as a whole provides particularly for our LGBTQ students who have been told their whole lives that their whole being is sinful and wrong. Our community doesn't just accept them, we celebrate them. Or the student who I've shared before who donated $1,000 to the Edge House when he had his first co-op, a student. Or how people have started making immediate reservations at Ukrainian Airbnbs with no intention of visiting, just so there's a direct flow of money to people on the ground, people who are using their Airbnbs to house refugees. Or how Good Shepherd's Council handed out checks that one time for y'all to give away, no strings attached, to multiply the blessing. Lavish generosity, prodigal. Or how in the very beginning, God didn't just make things and call it done. God made things that make more things, that make more things. Wild, prodigal. Where have you seen that wild generosity? Not just a nice moment, 
but prodigal giving. When the circle widens, when more people are welcome, when we, when more of we who are lost feel like we have a place at the table, God is present and celebrating with us. God's delight is infinite. God's love is prodigal. God's invitation to us is to mirror that delight and love without expectation of return or deserving for the whole world. So, may we be the prodigal son and return home. May we be the prodigal elder brother and recognize the love that we already have. And may we be the prodigal father and share with wild abandon. Amen.